All right. Father, we come before you, Lord, as your people. We come before you as your children. We ask that you would be present in a powerful way with us today as we desire to really squeeze everything we can out of your word. Please change our hearts, guide our feet, and Lord, renew our mind through Christ and what you're doing in, through, and for him in this world. Lord, we just ask in his name for guidance today as we go through Acts 18. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Acts 18 it is. Well, Acts 18, things start getting a little cranked up. Um, last week, we, we finished Acts 17, and we saw that Paul was preaching um, to the Gentiles in a much different way than he preached to the Jews. He pretty much went through a very good comparable sort of outline and sermon um, that we can apply in our own day. And uh, Paul was just sort of hanging around Athens and he was sprung into a ministry. He was sprung into uh, a, a situation of debate with the, with the Greeks, the Epicureans and the Stoics. And they listened to him and were apparently impressed enough to bring him before the council called the Areopagus. Uh, and the Areopagus was made up of, of philosophers and scholars and many uh, well-known uh, Greek politicians or, or magistrates at the time. And it's sort of like a Supreme Court, sort of once you get elected to it and you get your tenure, you're, you're, you, it's pretty much, uh, unless you die, you're going to stay on that council. So Paul was waiting in Athens for Timothy and Silas, gets thrown into a debate in the marketplace, gets thrown into a debate at the Areopagus, and God, does God do anything through that sermon? What does he do? Yeah, people got saved. God, we, and see, we have to realize that Luke is telling a story. He's not giving us a complete 100% detailed um, outline overview of every single thing that Paul said and everything that they did. He's giving us a story. He's trying to give us an overarching covering, hey Hubert, covering the different bases so that way the reader can believe and can understand. And so Paul is telling us, or really Luke is showing us, that Paul did have fruit from this very much from the very be- like from the very beginning um, through this guy from the who was an Areopagite. His name was Dionysius, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. They got saved, and he wants us to know that. He wants us to see that there is a um, that there is a work of the Holy Spirit going on here, and so. I threw this map up today because I wanted to give you guys a, a, a really good picture of, of what's going on here. So it tends to jump around a lot. We tend to read the book of Acts as if like yesterday Jesus rose from the dead and now they're in Athens. It's not like that, obviously. There's been 15 years probably since Paul was even saved. 
um, and even more time than that from when Christ uh, ascended. So after these things, Paul apparently was supposed to wait for Paul, or I'm sorry, he was supposed to wait for Timothy and Silas in Athens, um, but he, he didn't. He, in, ver- in chapter 18, it says, after these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And uh, Corinth was, um, what type of place was Corinth? Does anybody want to give any comment on that? It was basically the New Testament Las Vegas. The New Testament Las Vegas, okay. It was a very um, popular Roman outpost. Uh, it was a very popular, um, like, like Anthony said, it was a lot of entertainment, a lot of perm- uh, promiscuity, a lot of um, idols all over, just like every other Roman province. Um, yeah, and these people were partiers. <laughs> they really were. And so when Paul went into Corinth um, and people got saved, one of which here he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So yeah, somewhere around AD 52 to AD 54, uh, the Roman emperor at the time just expelled all the Jews out of Rome because they were a thorn in their side. They were always causing problems because they would not fit into the model of that culture because they were willing to die rather than disobey the law of God. They were willing to die rather than confess that Caesar is Lord. And so they created um, provisions for the Jews to be able to do this, to worship the way that they wanted to worship. And sort of the Christians were packed in with those Jews in the beginning. In other words, they were all looked at as the same uh, for a while, until uh, a very big divide happened between the two, uh, or a, a visible divide that these weren't the same religions. <clears throat> so Corinth was a, um, you know, like when I say they were partiers, they were probably younger. Um, and, and, you know, Cor- Corinth gets a really bad rap in the scriptures um, because of so many things that they were doing through the book of First and Second Corinthians, and Paul had a really slapped them down. <clears throat> but what was the biggest problem? Rather, not, not just the fact that it was that they were, you know, doing things that were wrong, uh, obviously. We, we know that in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Paul summarizes all the different sins that they were involved in and then says, that was once you, but you're not like that anymore. You've come out of that. Now start acting like this. Start acting like a Christian. So besides that, what was some of their other problems that they had in Corinth? Does anybody remember? <clears throat> not specific sins necessarily, <clears throat> but Paul, through the book of Corinthians, gives us... Um, some of the most, uh, I should say, didactic teaching on the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit, what truly does it mean to manifest the Holy Spirit? Because the Corinthian church, for some reason, the Holy Spirit was super active there. If you read through the, the book of the Corinthians, you'll see these young Christians were performing signs and wonders and miracles, and they were speaking in tongues, and they were manifesting the Spirit and Paul sort of had to go in there and pull them back. 
right? Because they were excessively going out there and, and they were a very spirit-filled church. And why I say they have a bad rap is because I think nowadays we have just the opposite problem in the church. You know, the church is very much, um, and I'm talking not our church, but just ch- the churches as a whole are very much uh, focused on the individual. Like, what am I going to get out of this? Um, how am I going to, am I going to be entertained today? Not necessarily entertained, but some may say that, but you know, is the pastor going to get, tell really good jokes? Is he going to make me feel good? I'm bringing somebody with me. I hope he doesn't say nothing that offends them. I'm really trying to work on their heart and all this other stuff where the people in Corinth were just the opposite. They were, they were just filled with the Holy Spirit to the point where they over, you know, overcorrected and flipped the truck. You know, they went too far. And so I'm giving you that context because this is the introduction of Corinth. You know, he went into Corinth and um, this is what he's dealing with. And this, this right now is really nothing going on there. There's, so if you look from here all the way to the book of Corinthians, you should be able to see a good contrast and how that escalates. And so anyway, any questions about that? <clears throat> and so if you look here, the green, I feel so cool when I have this. I feel like a teacher. Where was Rome on the map or is it not pictured there? Yeah, Rome would be that way. Okay. Yeah. So you can see my cursor move. This is Achaia. And I wanted to show you this because Achaia was a pretty big province here. And again, provinces were ruled by who? Governors. Governors. That's right. Who were the governors? What nationality were they? Roman. They were Paisans, man. Yes, they were Italian. Come on. They were Romans, right? So these, like this right here was like what Pontius Pilate was ruling over in, in Jerusalem and in, in Israel. He was, the, he was the governor there. He was the, the proconsul there. And so every province of Rome had someone overseeing it. And so the context now is like Rome doesn't want the Jews there. <laughs> so they're getting kicked out. And now they're all flooding into different areas. And so we see here Paul is in Athens. And then he goes across the street here to Corinth. And so he ends up having to deal with one of these counselors, which are uh, pro-counsels, which I'm gonna, well, we're going to get to. <clears throat> but I think really, if I had to break down chapter 18 for one simple theme, what can we get out of chapter 18? Did I say 15? 18 is... <clears throat> I believe encouragement as, as believers. And um, we see Paul here, he, you know, he, gets, he gets Priscilla and Aquila, and they were of the same trade, and they stayed with them, and they were working for by trade, and they were tent makers. Tent making was a really good business, obviously, at the time, equivalent probably to construction or carpentry or building here because people lived literally in tents and they needed tents to cover their home. They needed tents for their building. They needed all sorts of uh, tents as it relates to the Feast of Booths or whatever their, whatever the case was. This, this was apparently a very big trade at the time. 
And at the same time he was doing this tent making, he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And so, you know, you have to see is that a lot of times we, as Christians, we, we want to be used by God. And so we are, you know, we're always desiring God, you know, use me. What am I doing? But then when we look at our life, our life sort of seems to looks very mundane sometimes or monotonous. We get caught up in the same thing every day, same thing every week. And we sort of just get caught up in this monotony of this groove or even sometimes a funk we can't get out of it we say god what what are we doing what do you want me to do but what i love about paul is that he was a tent maker and i used to when i when i first um came to know the lord and even even after even now i love being able to use my time when i'm not doing stuff that's quote unquote ministry to try to use that time, that downtime or that dead time to be able to meditate on the word or to be able to learn more from the word, listen to a sermon, listen to an audio book. And um, some of my friends, especially that are um, bivocational pastors, you know, they tell me that some of the best prep time that they get for their sermons is when they're working you know, with their hands when they're driving in the car. A friend of mine drives a truck. So he gets to drive to New York every day and back. And he uses all that time to meditate and think about the word. And maybe obviously not every single day, but he's leveraging that time. Um, <clears throat> I'm, the same, I'm that way when I work out. People always say, how come you don't work out to music? Because I don't like to work out to music. I like to think about different things. With, that are going on in, 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 with the Lord and what I'm learning and what I'm reading. And it's just my time to be able to process things. <clears throat> and so I could see as something like tent making, which requires a lot of creativity, which requires time alone, probably too. Uh, Paul was probably really being blessed by that time. And he was providing um, uh, some money for himself. He wasn't expecting people just to do it. So don't if you're in one of those times now where, you, you know, you have some time, you're, maybe your life is a little monotonous and you're asking the Lord, Lord, what should I be doing? Don't think that just because you're not in full-time ministry or you're not in a formal ministry that you can't use the job that you have now, be able to be able to have that in your mind. And also, hey, look at, you know, he was a weekend warrior. He was going in on the synagogue every Saturday and he was trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So he did and used what was available. So then in verse 5, Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia. Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So, so far, if we were looking at this passage from an encouragement perspective. How is, how is God looking out for his child, Paul, throughout this time? How is he encouraging him so far? We made some friends. He made some friends, right. First off, he made some friends. They were Jewish friends. They had a lot in common. How else? 
Yep, he was encouraging them with, with support, gave him a job, right? Encouraging him, look, I'm, I'm going to provide for your needs. <clears throat> and also, what's implied here is that now that Timothy and Silas came down from Macedonia, what's implied in the text is that Paul now has more time to devote himself fully to the word of God. So maybe even at this point, he pulled back a little bit on the tent making, because again, this is all happening over time. And he's able to completely devote himself to the word. Completely devote himself to the word. What does that mean to you, to completely devote yourself to the word? Is anybody here completely devoted to the word of God? If anyone asked you, if I asked somebody about your life, would they say, oh, that, that person, he's completely devoted to the, to the word. What does that mean to you? <clears throat> does it mean that you're waking up every morning, going to sleep every night, from morning to night, reading the word, searching the scriptures, praying and fasting and I don't, it kind of reminds me of the time when the um, ten deacons, uh, you know, were, were, they wanted to devote themselves completely and not be, have their interests divided with having to serve tables and such. Yeah, they were able to prioritize that when in chapter 7, right before, or chapter 6, I think, right before Stephen got stoned, because he was one of the men that were full of the Holy Spirit, remember, they needed to pull men out full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, a good reputation. So, yeah, I think <clears throat> he was able to do that. I think he's able to pull that back. But to me, I see the biggest <clears throat> blessing in my life is when I'm able, and, and again, it's, it's a contradictory sort of statement because then you're like, well, why don't we always read? But for me, the biggest blessing in my life is when I'm reading the Word of God. I just, when I'm not trying to get through it, when I'm just reading the Word of God and I'm marveling at the wisdom behind it and I'm just being ministered to by the Lord through the Word, and to me, that is some of the greatest encouragement that I could get from God is when He gives me that special time in the Word. It doesn't happen every day. I mean, I'm in the Word every day reading, and I'm, I'm desiring that, but a lot of times because of the flesh, you know, our mind gets pulled away, got up a little late today, I know the kids are upstairs waiting for me, my wife's waiting for me to come up, and I'm, you know, got to get stuff done, and, you know, I'll get through it just to discipline myself to make sure I stay in that groove, but when I'm able to really devote myself completely to the Word, even during reading time, is the biggest encouragement it's not when I get a, you know, if I get a, a gift from someone or money or whatever the case is, nothing, com- nothing compares to it. Now, especially as someone that's called in ministry, <clears throat> it's, a, it's an even bigger uh, encouragement because, you know, if I had to work a full-time job, I would still do this, but it would be my desire to completely devote myself to the the word like I'm able to do as a pastor now, which is great. But you guys can should be labeled the same way. Not, this isn't a ministry title, 
Like, well, the people that are in ministry, they completely devote themselves to the word. No, the word of God, okay, is, is for you and me. And the minister's job is, what did, Jesus, what did uh, Paul say? He goes, he gave some apostles, some teachers, some pastors, some, and he goes down all the gifts. These are gifts to the church. So I'm, yes, Jerry, I'm, I'm a gift to you, buddy, okay? As much as you may not agree with that yet, you're going to see. We are gifts to the church, but not <clears throat> for ourselves. Or in that same Ephesians um, uh, passage, it talks about to edify and equip the saints. So the word of God <clears throat> is for the equipping and the edification of us as saints. So it's not for the edification and equipping of only teachers and apostles and people called in the ministry. No, their job is to edify the saints with the word. So the word has to be priority in all of our lives. Devote yourself to the word of God. And that just doesn't mean reading time. It means as your ultimate standard in your life on how you make decisions, on how you order your life, on how you... You talk to people on how you treat others, your relationships, all that as to be completely devoted to the Lord. And so he was testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. In verse 6, they resisted and they blasphemed. When they did that, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so Paul's basically telling them, what I'm giving you right now is about life and death. The life of the flesh is in the blood. What I'm giving you right now is, is, is life, and you're rejecting it. And so blood be on your own heads. You're not going to have an excuse in Judgment Day. And so he leaves there, and he goes to a house of a man named uh, Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, whose house was right next to the synagogue. How cool is that? Right? Paul is, gets Paul, he gets his, his his friends, like Hubert said, friends from from Rome that are Jews. Now he's encouraged with Silas and Timothy. He's encouraged with devoting himself to the word. He's getting more time. He's encouraged with tent making. He's got all this stuff going on. And then guess what? The Jews say, get out. You can't come here anymore. So he gets kicked out of the synagogue. But guess what? The guy right next door goes, hey, you can, you can hold service at my house right next to the synagogue. His house is right there. Now, Crispus, that's a pretty cool name. Crispus, <clears throat> that's where the word pizza comes from, by the way. Crispus, just kidding. The leader of the synagogue believed in the Lord with all his household Again, we see these words. Remember, right around 12, I think 13, we start seeing household, household, household. I'm sorry. Right around 15, 16, 17, we start seeing Luke plugging this word in after James makes the prophetic declaration that the Gentiles coming in are fulfilling the prophecy that God is rebuilding his household. And so when we see these words coming out again and again and again, He's not just saying, he's not trying to say, well, everyone in the whole house believed. Even, you know, the guy Joey living downstairs in the basement, even he believed in the guy. That's not necessarily what that means. 
It means that there are whole households now devoting themselves and identifying themselves as believers in the one true God of, uh, of Israel, of the world. And this household is what built the Jew. This is how the Jewish people talked back in the time of Exodus and throughout the time of Moses. This was all about every single person, eventually, every family and every nation being blessed. So Crispus becomes a Christian, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they, when they heard were believing and being baptized. They were believing and being baptized. Believing and being baptized. One of these days we'll get more into baptism. Um, I mean, we spoke about it here and there. But <clears throat> the one thing that we often do when we think about baptism is we, all, we often think of baptism being associated completely with salvation of the individual. Now, we know that people get baptized after they believe. <clears throat> but if Jerry says to me, I want to be baptized... And I say, do you believe in Jesus? And he says, yes. Um, how do I know that? I mean, you could say, we could say all the typical Christian answers. Well, it's his life. It's his fruit. It's his profession. It's all, all that. And it is. But we also know that there are people that have a good life. They have, a good, they have good fruit. They profess and they fall away. So we never know who's saved, and I don't think it's our job to go around, you know, being the salvation police. Are you saved? Are you sure you're saved? Say this, that, but you can't do it. Our job is to encourage people with the love of God, with the free grace in Christ. We're to defend the scriptures against heresy. We're to call out evil and sin in people's lives. But we, we don't know when they're saved. So baptism is certainly an expression of the fact that you have confessed. We see that through the scriptures, but we also see baptism at a higher level because of our inability to look into people's hearts and see if they're sincere. And because of theologically, the doctrine of baptism is about a new beginning. So baptism is a identity marker that you are putting a badge on your shirt saying, I am believing it. I am part of the community of Christians right now. And yes, you're professing to do that. Now the debate is, is well, who, who can wear that badge? Do they have to profess faith first? Can it be somebody that, a child of someone that professes faith? And, with, and there's a whole theology in, on that as well too. But I'm not so much concerned about that. I'm more concerned that you first think in your mind, that baptism is the sacrament, the sign, and the seal that Jesus left us along with the Lord's Supper to publicly proclaim the gospel to, the pe to people out there when they visibly see your connection with that community. And obviously, baptism has salvific connotations of going under the water and coming out a new creature, not, as Peter says, the removal of filth off your flesh but the new creation that Jesus has given us, right? It's that, that symbol. We see that coming out of the sea throughout, uh, throughout the Old Testament, coming out of the Red Sea, coming through the Jordan. and So anyway, he was baptized, and he, he believed he was baptized, 
And now Paul's getting even more encouraged. Because now he sees this, this, this town that he thought was probably on its way to hell is now getting saved. Even though he's got people chasing after him. And what do you know, it's always great when the Lord Jesus shows up at my house and just starts talking to me and encouraging me. You know, don't let the youth at the church get you down, Pat. They don't pay attention in Sunday school. They don't come to church up, but don't let them neg you out. And God encourages me with that. So he says, don't be afraid any longer, but go on speaking to them. Don't be silent, for I am with you. They won't attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in freehold. So the Lord talks to me like that. Now, honestly, this is how he talked to Paul. This is what he said to Paul. He came to Paul after he had all these problems with, with the, with the um, uh, synagogue. He gets kicked out. And then the leader of the synagogue, or <clears throat> the, the leader, his name's Crispus, he believes, and, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they were believing. And then the Lord comes to Paul in a vision, verse 9, at night, and says, do not be afraid any longer. What does that statement presuppose? Presuppositionalist. He was afraid, right. Paul was afraid. He's like, what is going on? I'm going I'm to get it here. I've been running, but now I'm in this, this crazy city, and I don't know if I'm going to make it. But Paul, when Jesus tells you not to be afraid, you don't be afraid. But go on speaking. Keep speaking. Do not be silent. Not, don't be afraid any longer. Just, you know, lay back for a little bit. Let things calm down. <clears throat> you don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to cause any, any ruckus. <clears throat> no, go on speaking. Go stand and speak all the words of this life at the temple. Remember they said that in Acts chapter 5? They just had gotten arrested. The angel opens up the door and says, now go back to the temple and speak. So this is a... We have a confrontational um, uh, religion, I guess, for lack of a better way to say that. Our, our, our leader of our church, Jesus Christ, says in his word that the message I want you to go out and give to the world is going to be a scandal. It's going to be an offense. That's a pretty, that's a pretty harsh, you know, uh, 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 sort of, I guess, statement to swallow. I don't know. So you want me to come in and talk about this salvation, but it's going to be an offense to the people. <clears throat> it's going to be foolishness to those that are perishing. So we have to be bold. And Paul gets encouragement from the Lord again by, by the Lord himself. And so he says, I'm going to stay here for, and he stays there for a year and six months, what? <clears throat> Teaching the word of God among them. What's the, what's the shift now? It's the first time we hear that statement. Before he was preaching that Jesus was the Christ. But now he's teaching the word of God to them. What's the difference? He took a step closer and they're listening now. Yeah. You see, it's hard to teach somebody that's an unbeliever. 
you know, it's very hard to, to have a Bible study with an unbeliever or an atheist because they're not believing anything that you're saying necessarily is true because they don't believe in God, let's just say. Now, they could, you know, you may be able to speak the word of God. Obviously, we'll preach the gospel to them, and that gospel will change the heart of the hardest atheist. But what Paul's doing here is he's teaching believers. So this is what he's doing. He's teaching the word of God among them for a year and a half. And so this is a really, really neat thing. Paul's, again, not only was he able to devote himself completely to the word, but now he's able to teach the word of God among them. And every single word, every single passage in this Bible is consistent with the other. And it's very difficult for some people to see that, especially when they're not Christians. They see contradictions. They see things that are seemingly opposed. Or, but once you become a Christian and you learn the word of God, every single objection that you could have about this scripture can be reconciled and can be explained and can be figured out by going through the whole word of God. And that's what the job of the preacher and the teacher is to do, is to teach the word of God to people so that they understand it, what the word is spoken, like the Bereans, right? They were encouraged and they rejoiced when they understood after they searched the scriptures. So now another but. So you can see verse five is a but, and then verse 12 is a but, and then this way Luke writes, because it's like a roller coaster. Everything was going good, but the Jews came down and then but, and then we go up and down. And so here we have Gallio. He was the proconsul of Achaia. So if you see there, Achaia, the green part, he's proconsul of the whole green area down here, the bottom left, not, not Galatia, this area right here, all this. So he's got a lot, this guy. He's in charge of a lot. And remember, the Jews were just expelled. Now they're in his province. <clears throat> and they, with one accord, the Jews rose up against Paul and they brought him uh, before the judgment seat, saying to Gallio, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or of a vicious crime, O oh Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look, at after it, look after it yourself. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. Why did he do that? The Jews did this. They, these Jews were a little bit more... Jewish, I guess. Because remember everybody else, what did they always accuse Paul of doing? Yeah, what, say that again, Gab. Yeah, they would, go to, they would go to the proconsul and say, these, are te these men are teaching, the decrees they're teaching are opposite of the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king. See, if he said that to Gallio, that would have been a big difference. But he, Gallio, what he's doing here is he's taking the opportunity to just get rid of everybody because he doesn't want to deal with the Jews on their law. But he also has a no-win situation, right? Because if he says, like, okay, yeah, you're going against the law, 
and I'm going to get involved. Now he's opened up a can of worms. And now every single Jewish person is going to come to him and it's going to cause problems. It's going to go back to Rome and there could be uprising. There could be all different sorts of things that happen. And if he goes on the other side and says, no, these guys are innocent, let them go. He's also just as liable for for similar uprisings. So what does he do? He just says, deal with it yourself. And so what did they do? The Jews were so mad that they took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue. Maybe this was the new leader of the synagogue. And they began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. He didn't even want to get involved with that. He walked away. Now, Sosthenes, first of all, does anybody know what Gallio's name means? You know how I, like to, I always like to tell you guys so that you can think about it and remember it? Do you know what it means, Randy? One who lives on milk. I think that's pretty cool. He actually was the brother of Seneca. Did you learn about Seneca, the philosopher? The tutor of Nero? What's that? The tutor of Nero? Yes. Yeah. yeah that's good, Jer. Yeah. And, and apparently Nero, I think, had Gallio killed. Um, is, is what the room is, rumor is. But um, Seneca was Gallio's brother. Yeah, so a little, a little uh, info tidbit there that's just thrilling and exciting. And Sosthenes, do we ever hear about him again? Anybody remember? Read, uh, just go, Gab, to 1 Corinthians, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Yeah. Uh, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Cool. Yeah, so this is a really good suspicion that this is the same guy. Why? They're in Corinth, right? They're writing to the Corinthians. Sosthenes was probably um, after he was beaten in front of everybody. Maybe that changed his mind a little bit. Maybe... I'm sure Paul went up to him afterwards and tried to minister to him and comfort him. And the Christians probably came around him and loved on him and took care of him. And so he probably got converted. And now when you see it at the beginning of a letter, Sosthenes was some sort of either a leader or he was writing the actual letter, dictating it for Paul. Or Paul was dictating it for him and he was writing it down. So I thought that was pretty cool. So Paul, having remained many days longer, he took leave of the brethren, and he set out for sea to Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, who he met, so he's, he stayed really tight with them. In Centria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now, he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews at Ephesus, and when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail for Ephesus. And he landed at Caesarea and went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. So this, the, the, the commentators basically say that this time of year was probably one of the feasts of the Jews that they would gather to Jerusalem. Paul, 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 Paul shaved his head to take a vow and 
probably wanted to keep that vow until after the feast or whatever the case was. He went and he did his his all of his Jewish stuff. A lot of people think, well, Paul stopped being a Jew. He didn't stop being a Jew. The law was no more binding on him, but these are the things that the, a lot of these Jews still, they went to the synagogues, they still traveled to Jerusalem, they still, you know, even went to the temple. And so um, he was keeping that vow, he entered the synagogue, and then that's probably why he didn't want to stay at Ephesus too long. So he landed at Caesarea. You see, get up here. So if you look... This is where, where Centria is where he had his haircut, right there in the green under Corinth. So from Corinth, where they don't have very good barbers, Centria, they have a whole bunch of different barber shops and stuff. I'm just seeing if you're listening, that's not true. And then from there, he sails this line here. You guys are looking, right? Because I have the cool monitors up. And he goes up to Ephesus. And there he reasons in the, with the Jews. And then he takes this long trip all the way here to Caesarea Maritima, where, which is a port. Now here is Israel. It says here that they asked him to stay. And he, went, he landed at Caesarea here. And he went up and greeted the church. Where did he go up to? When we see he goes up, where, where was where usually was he talking about? Jerusalem, Jerusalem right, because Jerusalem's up on a hill. So it says he went up to Jerusalem, which is really down. But then after that, he went down to Antioch, which is really up. <laughs> and that was the, the main hub of the church at the time. And so this is around 54 to 57 AD. And after spending some time there in verse 23, he left and he passed successively through the Galatian region and Phyregia, strengthening all the disciples. And then he goes back up. So that I'll show you his third missionary journey. Um, let me see, is this it? No. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Let's see Paul's third. Uh, you know what we can, let me see. Yeah, can you guys see that? So now this gets really, <laughs> the, the third missionary journey is, is all over the place. And so, but anyway, here's where he, this is where we just read. See over here in Antioch, verse 23. So he goes through Cilicia and Phyresia, which is actually, they don't have it here. Phyresia is right here. And then Galatia, Galatian region, all through this, down the lower part. Galatian's huge. Galatia was huge, so. He just sort of cut down through the bottom. So anyway, I guess we could stop there. And then next week we will, next week what I want to do is I want to talk, um, I want to talk about verse, the, the rest of verse. You can kill that now. I'm sorry, Rand. I didn't know you were sitting down. Whenever you get up, you can kill that. But next week I want to talk about this guy, Apollos, okay, and because he comes to Ephesus after Paul was already there. Remember, Paul stopped at Ephesus for a while, and then he left, and then he started his third missionary journey down. This is probably 
six months to a year later. But then on Paul's sec, third missionary journey in, ver- in chapter 19, he goes back to Corinth uh, and, then, and then goes back, stops there, goes back to Ephesus and then finds some disciples who didn't yet receive the Holy Spirit. So I want to sort of talk about, we've talked about that in the beginning. And so, and I told you throughout the book of Acts, this is going to come up a lot because we see a lot of things that are a little strange, like, well, wait, we get the Holy Spirit when we believe. Paul was already there. They had major problems in Corinth with the Holy Spirit. Now there's people there that don't have the Holy Spirit. Like, what is all this? So we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. And that's a really interesting discussion. And I recommend a really good book called Unspeakable Joy by Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, on, the, on the Holy Spirit and the different works of the Spirit as it relates to the baptism of the Spirit. And both of you guys have it at your house because I gave it to your, parent, your, your, your dads. So I know you'll be all into that this week. So don't make any markings and stuff. No highlights. So, all right. Well, we'll stop there. We'll thank, let's thank the Lord. God, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for uh, the, the encouragement that you gave Paul and the encouragement that you give each of us in, in a special way in each of our own lives. And I do pray that each person here would receive that special touch of encouragement from you um, as they <clears throat> do not only their, their job or their school, but also, Lord, as they completely devote themselves to the word and myself included. I just thank you, Lord, for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.